words on water. Welcome to Words on Water. Uh, this is a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. We are your hosts, Sarah Delorier. And I'm Dave Barron. And our episodes on, uh, of Words on Water are focused on biosolids. And today we'll be hearing from John Cook uh, with the city of Muscatine, Iowa. Excellent. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks, John, for joining us. Today we're going to be talking about the fun topic of co-digestion. This is a really emerging topic in the area of wastewater treatment. We see more and more utilities that are starting to look at how can we divert organics away from, from landfills and bring them into our water resource recovery facilities to capture some of the additional benefits, such as additional increased biogas production, tip fees that could come from managing that material, and then how do we manage some of the challenges that are associated with that? As you're bringing in more material, you typically are going to have more nutrients to manage. And then you have a new set of challenges just with treating other materials that weren't coming in the front door of your wastewater plant to begin with. And so we think John Cook here today is probably one of the best suited people to talk about this, given his journey in co-digestion uh, over the last number of years. He's got a facility up and running, and we're happy to have him on the show today to be able to share his experiences and hopefully be able to provide some lessons learned. Thanks, John, a lot for joining us. It'd be great if you could just introduce yourself to uh, to our audience here and give an overview of, of your plant and the co-digestion project. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you guys asking me to do this. This is fun. I, I absolutely love talking about this this project that we've been doing just because it's so unique. And uh, I've been working on it for, gosh, eight, nine years now. I think uh, I even met you, Dave, a long time ago, starting to talk about this and making travel plans to go out and see other facilities around the country. Believe it or not, from the middle of the country, it takes a long ways to get anywhere else where they're actually doing this. So um, we we really have, uh, you know, started looking at, since we have such a large manufacturing, food manufacturing uh, center here in, in Iowa, um, a lot of that food waste uh, from the manufacturing industry was going to landfill or it was leaving the state or it was being incinerated or something else like that. And so... When I first saw that um, as a director, uh, pre-treatment director of our, of our wastewater plant, that uh, a lot of this stuff was going out, we said, well, how do we bring it back here to our to our facility and, and make more biogas out of it? Because Muscatine, being a city of only about 25,000 people, uh, we have one big organic um, uh, industry, just weren't really producing enough gas for anybody to take interest in a, in a biogas project here. So I said, well, how do we stoke the fires? How do we create more biogas so that somebody will actually take notice of us and, and have an interest in doing a biogas uh, partnership with us uh, so we can do something with that gas. So that's kind of how we started the whole journey of saying, you know, let's find out what's really out there and what we can do to to boost that level of biogas production. Of course, the first thing we always did was we said, let's go with fog. Let's get all the restaurant waste and, and feed it into there. Again, 25,000 people in this town, not that many restaurants uh, creating that much of a, of a load of, of grease to our to our plant. Um, and I very quickly found out that solid waste and uh, it was, was the bigger portion of that um, in, in the region, not just from Muscatine, but actually from almost 100 to 150 mile radius around Muscatine where all these food manufacturers were uh, and where they were sending that material and how the need 
for somebody regionally to be able to take that, depackage it, and and uh, put to, uh, the food waste to beneficial reuse. There's huge demand uh, from those manufacturers. So I asked around. Nobody had any interest in doing this. And so we decided to say, let's just let's just take a leap. Let's get in there and get going and doing it. And since we've been doing it, you know, I've I've, I've always said you either have a grant, you have a mandate, or you got to screw loose. And th- there were no grants for this kind of a thing to, to be done. Uh, we don't have mandates for this uh, in the Midwest anywhere uh, so far, anyway. So that's you know where I land on that. You had to be <laughs> kind of crazy enough just to want to go out and do something like this and to find that it's just it's just fascinating and interesting enough and you you just got to want to do it and you had you have to have a leader who's going to push and push and push to get people uh, to really see the benefit of that so um i i was happy to to do that it was exciting it was new you know i've been doing wastewater for many many years and wastewater is really really cool i love it but um this was a new aspect to it that i hadn't tried before so i always like trying new things so so we 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 really went for it that's a great answer. And actually, as a good segue, being that champion or lead, how were you successful then in navigating that planning process, as well as getting approval to, to get into co-digestion and get your staff to buy into it? Well, yeah, for, for my staff, they're they're kind of uh, all untold to do many of these things, right? They're, <laughs> they're not able to do whatever else, but but yeah, to get them excited about it was was fun for me because I got to show them the things that they're doing actually have real world consequences. So many times we lose we lose sight of that, and the fact that they could be part of something that's really exciting and new um, really kind of ex- excited a lot of them as well. They were scared, and that we get we had the old you know we've never done it that way before type of type of thing. Um, but I've virtually been doing that ever since I started here, and before the food waste came along. They'd always kind of been in this really uh, static mode, you know, just you know, just read the numbers, do this, do that, and 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 don't don't rock the boat. Um, and then I came in and rocked the boat right away, um, in, in teaching a lot of bio- biology of, of things and, and microscopes of the of of how to how to really manage your your, your uh, wastewater plant and what to do with filaments and everything else like that that they'd never really seen before. So so they were kind of prepped for, for me to do some wild, crazy, outside-of-the-box uh, things anyway. And uh, the, the buy-in to the, to the council, the city council and my city administrator, the, who are my my bosses, really, you know, that I had to convince. Of course, the first thing was monetary. I mean, I, I, I had to go that way first. And that's the most important thing is just to say, look, there's there's tipping fees that we can realize here, and then once we get the gas going, there's there's money available, there's revenues available for. I never say reducing sewer rates. You never say that, but you say stabilizing rates. So if we were looking at a five percent increase, maybe the revenue we bring in extra will keep us at a three percent increase or something like that. You know, so so when they saw that, and then they saw the other stuff behind it, you know, the the benefits um, and the whole push for sustainability that. That a lot of them transitioning, you know, back I think even 20 years ago, that wouldn't have mattered as much as, as it does to the people that are on council and that are getting into into this kind of work do now in the last 10 years or so. So um, you follow the money first, of course. It always has to pay it's on some level, but but the fun stuff and the things that they can see, um, you know, reducing landfill uh, space. You know, I mean that that comes back to money. Ultimate is ultimately as well you don't have to build new landfill cells and muscatine owns its own landfill so 
there's a money side there, but they like the fact that it's not going there. And then, of course, for Muscatine, all of, most of the stuff is coming in from outside of town. So this is this is new revenue. This is not taking from things that would have gone somewhere else already, would have gone to you know the landfill already. These are going to other landfills and other areas. And so this is brand new revenue, and, uh, and they like that. So. That's awesome. So then as you were getting approval and going into the process of design and then picking or selecting technology, how did you settle on your design and, and that technology to implement? Well, the design, we, we'd always kind of, you know, we, I looked around a lot. I, I did a lot of traveling. I went to St. Louis, Kansas City. I went to Hermitage, Pennsylvania. Thanks, Dave. And out to Ohio. Um, he was he set me up with with looking at where other municipalities were doing this, and those were really hard to find. But even just any other facilities uh, that were running that, so I'd seen uh, several pieces of equipment. You know, um, even as far out as San Diego, I was out for a biogas conference, and uh, the food bank in San Diego runs a Scott turbo separator. That was the first one of those that I'd seen. Um, I went down to Kansas City, and I saw you know the tigers, and I went to. Hermitage, Pennsylvania, and I saw another Scott. And so I kind of got got a feel for how these were running just by seeing some of those in action, which was really, really important. So I always encourage people to don't be afraid to get out and travel a little bit and don't be afraid to ask because I love it when people come and want to see my my facility. I mean, this is it's thrilling to me. It's not a hassle for me to give tours and have people come and see it. So if you're doing it, you're probably really excited to show the people that you're doing it. But, but we decided, you know, we needed a good flow. That was a big thing for us is how is the traffic going to flow in and out of our facility? And then the, the, the machine itself, we decided on because of the things that we had identified that we were going to be bringing in. And it just seemed to work best for us. The Scott Turbo uh, separator seemed to be the best fit for us. We had, we had the space. It takes a little more space than something like the Tiger, but I liked how it would set up and how the material that we would put in would actually process through. So um, if you're doing just municipal garbage, you know, in bags and stuff like that, some of these other things that like a garlic press just kind of squeezes all the juice out of it is kind of probably a better fit for you. But if you're getting in packaged, palletized waste material and things like that, the, uh, the um, Scott seemed to make more sense for us. Well, let's pivot, John, and get a little bit into into some of the feedstocks that, that you process, you know. Co-digestion typically is thought of as food waste and fog primarily. There's a whole host of other things, but really curious, what are you processing your facility? What are the trucks when they roll in, you say, oh, this is going to be good stuff. It's going to get through our system really easily, and we're excited to get it. And what are those loads that when you get that call, you think twice about, or you maybe dread a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we didn't know what we were going to get. Uh, uh, entirely, but we, we knew we had uh, several large uh, food, uh, uh, pet food manufacturers in the area, and they were really interested because of their own corporate philosophy of zero waste uh, was big for them. So they were they were willing to spend the extra money because it's a little bit more expensive to, to drive it to us. Um, so, you know, we did some testing. We, we set up with Iowa State University. They have little bench bench digesters and we sent them some stuff that we went, you know, I just went to the grocery store and bought what I thought we were going to get from the food manufacturers that are in the area, sent it up to them. They ran some tests and they said, yeah, this will be good. This won't be so good. Um, uh, but, but we, when we see uh, meat coming in, that's the best thing. We have a large Oscar Mayer facility in our area. So lunch meat, that seems to be the really good stuff. Um, we, we find out how they make lunchable meat, you know, it comes out in these big tubes 
uh, pink and blue tubes that people <laughs> see. So um, we got those, and, and that stuff runs great. You know, the machine just takes it, goes, uh, does great things. A uh, little potted meat, you know, the Vienna sausages come in these little aluminum cans. We, we make, God, they make hundreds of thousands of those. And they, they showed up one day without even any labels around them, and they were just kind of stacked on top of each other on this thick particle board. We just dumped all of them on the floor, scooped them up, uh, which you need a push wall for, by the way, which we had to build. Scooped them all up, ran them through the machine. Those things came out so clean. The aluminum was just perfect that we got to recycle uh, the aluminum through a recycler, too. So so those are the cool things that we really like to see. The, the big hunks of, of meat and hide and things like that that show up, um, those are the things that just destroy your machine and, and really don't do anything for you. Um, we had to realize that this is ultimately a depackaging machine, not a grinder. So if it's not going to be need to be depackaged, then you shouldn't really run it through the machine or you're going to end up gumming it up and needing to, to clean it out. And then, it, you know, as much as we love to do this and we and we really try to, to get more of it, and we will be getting more of it, are these uh, grocery stores where they just kind of everybody throws something into a bin, a truck shows up and then they dump this stuff on the floor and the, the learning curve is very steep on that, um, getting people to change from a, this composting idea because they think, oh, it's compost. So they throw all their paper waste and everything else in there, which doesn't do anything to us. It just makes more trash for us to have to deal with and to run through. But then, of course, somebody says, oh, well, we didn't realize where this was going and we dumped this stuff from somewhere else in there. And there's just trash and trash and trash and all kinds of other things that come in that you can't really see until it's on the floor. Um you know, and so, so yeah, we're, we're excited when we see, I mean, trucks are easy to deal with. Pallets of things are easy to deal with. They're also easy to stack because we have these uh, racks that we, we can stage the material through that way um, uh, because you want to run wet stuff with wet stuff and dry stuff with dry stuff. Dog food is really dry. You got to mix a lot of water with it to make it pumpable because we have to, we have to pump it into a tanker truck and then drive it down the street to the wastewater plant from where our facility is. Anything with glass is also is something that we have to is, is taboo at the moment, uh, but we are working on a way to actually facilitate glass uh, in our in our waste streams as well. So. Great. Sounds like the less packaging, the better and contamination is keeps you up at night. Well, let, let's shift gears a bit to the economics aspect. You, you mentioned that was a really key part in getting your your counsel and your, your bosses on board with this idea. Can you talk a little bit about that? Are the economics mostly coming from the tip fees? How do you set those? And do you have any projections for overall payback on the system? Yeah, it's, you know, we, we kind of looked around and basically just kind of asked what everybody else was doing. You know, where where does it come down to where their tip fees make sense for them? Um, we said, okay, we asked the, the, the big five is what I had at the beginning with the big five manufacturers in the area. How much waste are you sending out right now? What do you think is organic? What do you think you can divert to us? Give me, give me a tonnage. And I had a, they had a pretty good idea. Most of them really did. They said, yeah, we know exactly what we're doing and where it's going. And so I said, okay, I can count on this many tons from this. And here's my projected costs. And I got to set a fee somewhere in between there that's not under my costs. And $40 a ton seemed to be a pretty stable industry standard for, for most places, somewhere in that area anyway. And that's kind of where we came down as well to where we could make a little money on the, on the end, on the 
on the end of where we're you know beyond our costs. So it it wasn't really any more scientific than that. Um, just kind of scratched it out and. It, it made sense for us to say that it was something that they were willing to pay. Now in Muscatine, it cost sixty-five dollars a ton to put it to the tip floor to go out to the landfill, which is kind of expensive. I think uh, there's a lot of places that are a lot cheaper than that. But so being even under what a what our landfill is seemed to make a lot of sense too for a lot of people that uh, they could actually save money. You know, they wouldn't be sending as much to the landfill. They actually might save a little bit of money, and uh, we we could actually uh, show a profit for that. So. Makes sense. I think that I think that's a great point to base things around your market conditions and know that every geography is going to be a little bit different, but also have a good understanding of your operational costs so that you're able to show uh, the profit, but you're you're not leaving too much on the table by knowing you know what the other options are in town. But the economics always had to come back to what are we going to sell the gas for? How how are we going to make money on the biogas side of it? We knew we know we can at some point, um, but we were never counting on it. I said this this project always has to make at least a little bit of revenue um, on just the just the solids receiving side um, because you can't count on the biogas side. These things come and go. These things are just gonna you know who knows what the rin market's gonna be like. If you're counting on that at all times, you know you're gonna end up you're gonna be in trouble. There's always people want to get rid of the waste like a like a landfill does, and and those fees have to at least make sense to at least cover your costs. And I'm not under the delusion that somebody else isn't going to do this that's closer to some of these food manufacturers either. So you have to make enough to say I can I can actually pay back some of my capital at least, you know, in the few years it's going to take for somebody else to come up with this and start their own facility, which is going to steal some of my feedstock. So um, there's a little bit of a little bit of planning there to say, you know, that we'll be able to do that. Excellent. I know we've talked a lot about feedstocks coming in and and contamination or potential contamination and how to deal with that, but also want to talk about how you manage the actual residuals or the product from co-digestion and um, what kind of concerns you've had from, say, managing the nutrients that are introduced from that, that bringing in those additional feedstocks or emerging contaminants um, that may actually be present in the product or the effluent product. Yeah, we're really lucky here to have uh, a biosolids program that we do. We, we, pump our biosolids two miles to storage lagoons. And then in the fall, um, we, we land apply by um, drag line and injection in the ground. So uh, it's a very clean, very inexpensive operation for us to do. The farmers love it because of course they're getting actually free fertilizer. We don't charge them for that at all uh, because it's such, a, such an easy thing for us to do. And it's nice, we just like to be able to get rid of it the way we do. So the nutrients, if we, you know, we're not loading to the full agronomic rate right now because the farmers want it on all of the acreage they have. So they'll take as much as they can to all the acreage instead of feeding agronomic rate to certain portions of their land. So we have that room for more nutrient if we need to. We can actually apply more to the land we are applying to. Um, and we do have more land around us too. So if we do ever hit that to where we're worried about the, the, the nutrients that we're putting out, there is more land surrounding the current uh, production land that we do have for our biosolids. Um, the biggest challenge that I saw that happened to us is our, our, our ammonia and nitrogen coming back to the plant because we decant those lagoons and then we pump it back to the plant and in the spring. And that has really affected us. So 
we're we're looking at uh, actually using that as irrigation water for those farm fields right now, so that we don't have to bring that back to the plant. But that's an aside note. But that's still a very important part of what we're what we're looking at doing. But for contamination, I'm not so much worried about any um, chemical or or anything like that. But but just the the, the plastics uh, is the biggest thing for us, and the trash. So so we are looking at options, and and there are some some really exciting things on the horizon about how we're going to be able to actually um, secondarily process the stuff that comes out of the machine um, before it goes out uh, to the farm field. So that's either going to be here at the plant where we can run it, run our biosolids through some kind of a screening process before it goes out, um, or we can process the food waste material itself. So we're, we're working on those and hopefully we'll have something in the next, you know, next year or so that will help, help take care of a lot of that. We figured the first year is not going to be that big a deal, uh, but over the years, the farmers are going to start to notice these little chips of plastic in their field. They're not going to be too happy with us. So, yeah, no, that's excellent. You're addressing that. I know there's a lot of um, chatter about these emerging co- concerns or, or contaminants of concern. So, um, yeah, you're thinking ahead and working ahead of this. That's great, John. I'm I'm curious to learn a little bit more about where does your passion come from to just take on more workload, move beyond just environmental compliance. You know, what's really driving that, or what what brought that screw loose for you? And then do you have any closing words of advice for other folks that are looking at this or just starting their journeys into co-digestion? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I guess I just, I just, I wasn't, I won't say I was bored with wastewater because it's always very exciting. There's always things going on here uh, to do, but uh, pushing the envelope of sustainability is really what kind of spurred me on a lot. You know, uh, we're, I, I think our utilities are highly underutilized for, uh, as, as far as I see there's lots of things that happen here that we're just not letting happen uh, because it just takes a little extra effort. And we have to we have to think outside of that, you know, the, the utility of the future, um, all these kinds of things. And, you know, that are that WEF has been talking about uh, as particularly is, is really important and really just struck a chord with me to say, hey, this is something that obviously some of these really bigger facilities are able to do because they have sustainability coordinators, they have their own engineer, they have all these different things. And and maybe I had Napoleon syndrome where I was the little guy, and I, but I, I wanted to fight back big. You know, I wanted to come out uh, swinging really heavy and show that, you know, just because we're a small facility doesn't mean we can't do the big things that some of these other larger facilities are doing. And much to my surprise, I'm doing a lot more than some of these really big facilities are doing. And that's, that's I think that's really cool. Um, and, and it just kind of it kind of spurs me on, you know. It gives me something uh, to, to shoot for and to look to look for um, in doing in the industry that has, for the most part, always just been about, you know, well, we just treat wastewater. Well, no, you know, we do human health first. This is our biggest thing: is to treat, is to protect human health with that with environmental benefits. That's kind of the way I've always framed it. But now we can do a lot more in our sustainability, and our sustainability is not just this this nice green stuff that we, you know, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could do? This stuff is actually really important that we have to do now. It's not just, well, it'd be nice if we could do it. This is something that should be vital for our survival to actually think about doing is saving, um, you know, the, the, the energy that we can produce here and actually putting it to good use and, and not just saying, well, you know, it would be something that if we could do nice on the side. And and I, I just, I'd like to be the leader of that and Muscatine particularly, um, 
I think why this happened a lot is if you don't know about Muscatine, we you know we used to have three Fortune 500 companies in this little town of 25,000 people. We've always said let's let's be the bigger leader. Let's let's do some things outside the box. And when I took this to my council, it started out as about a $400,000 project. I've ended up spending almost three and a half million dollars. And all along the way, I kept telling them, hey, this project's bigger than what I thought it was. Here's the new cost. And they said, go for it. Here's the new cost. Go for it. And I did that through about four or five iterations of city council um, in the in the time that I'd got this. And they all said, we, we want to be that kind of town. Um, and we want that. And bringing that passion to them was was exciting for me. And to see them excited just made me more excited. So it, it takes a community that's really willing to do something like this and somebody to lead the way. And I, I've been I've been really pleased and, and happy to do that. It's great to see all your success and getting it off the ground. And in a like you said, a small place in the middle of the country. Uh, if you can do it here, there's so many other folks across the country that likewise can can pick up the mantle and 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 run forward with it. So, John, we really want to thank you for coming on to the to the podcast today and, and sharing your experiences around around co-digestion. We hope our listeners enjoyed uh, enjoyed the show, and we're always looking forward to having more guests on and just expanding the knowledge around um, all things biosolids. So look forward to, to future episodes. And thanks again, John, for being with us today. Thanks. And don't be afraid to reach out to me. I'm always happy to, to share my, my successes and, and trials. And the biggest thing I always learn by talking to other people is what not to do. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, John. Really appreciate Great. it. And your inspiration. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Words on water.